0: When you go into your local supermarket, you may see bananas from Africa, papayas from Hawaii, and avocados from Mexico. And whether it's from far away or a local producer, it's always a race against time to bring this produce from farm to fork.
1: Within produce and any fresh department, it's always the same issues that retailers and people are facing. But the difference in fresh is that all of those problems are dialed up a hundred times.
0: This is Matt Schwartz, CEO of Afresh, the brain of the fresh food industry. But one of the things that they're doing is to help grocers to buy the right amount of fresh produce and manage their inventory.
1: And historically, the way that grocers have done this is the most talented employees in the grocery store would get put into the fresh departments because they're the most complex, the most dynamic, require the most intuition and judgment. And a lot of the executives of the grocery industry now are people who rose the ranks of the fresh departments and then became executives.
0: What are the grand challenges of managing some broccoli?
1: There are so many. One really simple one that sounds counterintuitive, but how many heads of broccoli are in the grocery store? Something as simple as knowing the quantity, how much inventory is in the grocery store is totally hard and completely unsolved right now in the grocery industry. And specifically, I'll give an example. You would think if you shipped 20 heads of broccoli into the grocery store and you sold 10, you would have 10 left. But in practice, what ends up happening is you say you ship 20, but you're shipping them by weight and you actually only shipped 19, it's only 19 pounds of of broccoli. And then it gets to the store, and some of it sits on the shelf, and part of that weight was water weight, and so it evaporates, and so that's lost. And then some of it's cold and and kind of trimmed by the produce manager because it looks bad. And then it goes across the cash register, and somebody who's doing self-checkout, or even just a paid cashier, marks it out as an organic head of broccoli when it was really a conventional one. And so at the end of the day, you thought you shipped 20, you thought you sold 10, but really you shipped 18 and you sold nine and wasted six. And as a result, you have three left instead of having 10 left. And that is a profound challenge, right? If you think about all that for Cheerios, it's way simpler. You could have some of those issues take place, but it's way easier because it's coming in a box, has a barcode, it's sold by number of units, it's going to last 14 months or whatever it is. And you can imagine that for just even understanding how much inventory is in the building, that is really hard. Set aside, now I got to think about forecasting. I got to think about how much to order when my displays are changing because of seasonality and my prices are changing. It's just a remarkably different landscape and challenge getting broccoli right.
0: Let's take a look behind the scenes of retailers, how food waste is created and how that can be addressed. Let's jump right in. This is Red to Green the audiobook-style podcast where food tech meets sustainability. You're listening to Season 4 on Food Waste. To support our work, please subscribe and share the episodes with your colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. A part of the issue is that the systems that retailers use are not designed for it.
1: That's across the whole supply chain, and true for growers, distributors, packers, retailers, all the way across the supply chain, is this notion that the technology that is in service of retail and in service of supply chain had originally been built for things with boxes and barcodes. Specifically, the biggest technology companies in the world, be it SAP, Oracle, even supply chain companies like JDA, now called Blue Yonder, those technologies were meant to work in all forms of retail, be it clothing, electronics, general merchandise, but it was not built to work in fresh. The biggest systemic problem that exists within retail and across the entire supply chain is the fact that the technology these enterprises are saddled with are built for a completely different type of item, a different type of business than what is the core driver of their business.
0: Quite interesting, because there's an issue with plastic packaging that we have covered in season two of our podcast. And then I'm just wondering, is there an incentive for them to package their fresh produce, not just extending shelf life, but making it easier to track, for example?
1: Definitely. One retailer that comes to mind for me in the US is Trader Joe's. You see an increasing percentage of their items being stored in plastic packaging. It could be an incentive around shelf life, but I do think that most packaging is driven by this unconscious incentive to make a head of broccoli act like a box of Cheerios, as opposed to if it's just the head of broccoli. It could be sold by weight. It could be sold by eaches. It could be shipped by weight. It could have 10 days of shelf life. It could have five days of shelf life. You don't know what the shelf life is. It's like the hidden language of the food industry. There's this subtle divide between packaged items and non-packaged items. And again, all of the technology was built for packaged items and the attempt to put plastic around everything and slap barcodes on everything is an attempt to make those items fit our very rigid existing technology landscape and supply chain landscape. That is the reason why we started Afresh is we're saying, no, you don't need to stuff broccoli into boxes. You can actually build the technology for broccoli, then you don't need that packaging. You can just handle it well.
0: And part of that is also connected to the buying process. Deciding for hundreds of stores what should be bought in what quantity, at what time, relying on faulty human (laughs) decision-making may cause the shelves to be under or overstocked.
1: There are countless decisions and countless workflows executed Across the fresh food industry, every day. As of now, a ton, if not the majority of those decisions, are made very manually and with human intuition. And by injecting technology into those decisions and workflows, Afresh will make the fresh food supply chain radically more efficient, therefore, fulfill our mission of eliminating food waste and making fresh food accessible to all.
0: So, you were mentioning earlier the distribution level center ordering.
1: Yeah, Which
0: is such a such a phrase. It sounds like it
1: could be German, uh,
0: <laughs> but in German it would be like one It'd massive one word, words, like, like non non ending. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> it would be like my last name, like appended four times, like Schwartz Schwartz watch, watch watch Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so, <laughs> can you elaborate on that? Like, how are usually ordering decisions made? Like inventory yeah. decisions, and what is going to be part of the inventory next?
1: Yeah. So there's two separate decisions. And sometimes there's even more. But to make it really simple, I'll say there are two. A grocery chain, let's just make up a fictional grocery chain of 100 stores to keep it simple, keep it relatively small. There's 100 stores, and they might be served by one fresh distribution center. And so there's two decisions. One is how many Bananas. Well, let's just keep going with heads of broccoli. There's how many heads of broccoli? <laughs> how many pounds of broccoli? I know I'm a. I love roasted broccoli. What can I say? It's, uh, in,
0: in Matt's supermarkets, there's only broccoli. <laughs> in my,
1: in my dystopian future, there's only broccoli, and everyone's very unhappy. So yeah, so there, all these stores, there's broccoli going into every store. So there's a question of how many pounds of broccoli is going into every store every day. And then there's a separate question of how many truckloads of broccoli is going into that distribution center that then services all of those heads of broccoli. And those decisions are made in different ways. So traditionally in the U.S., the store level decision is actually decentralized, where every morning you have a produce manager who is counting the broccoli in the store, using his or her judgment to determine what they think. Heads of broccoli demand is going to be if it happens to be a community that I live in, obviously the broccoli demand is going to be extremely high. Apparently that's all I eat. And then they're going to interact all of that and then decide I'm going to order 12 cases of broccoli today. And then the next day, 12 cases of broccoli comes on a truck. Do that a hundred times for all the stores and a thousand times in each store for all the different items in the produce department, in the real produce department. And then the distribution center has people sitting there that are buying more like a week in advance and they're anticipating how much sales are my store is going to do. And then I'm going to work and look at the market for broccoli prices and who my suppliers are and how much I bought on contract a year in advance versus how much am I going to buy on the spot market. And then they say, okay, I'm going to buy three truckloads or X pallets or whatever it is of broccoli to service those stores for the next week or for the next running few days. And both of those decisions currently are done using usually just some person's judgment. They're, they're kind of guessing.
0: Yeah, just a side note. We can make this um, drinking game. Drink a healthy ginger shot every time Matt says broccoli. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <I don't... laughs> that sounds great.
0: It would be good to get a bit more of a real feel how a fresh looks like yeah. in real life and yeah. how it changes the store manager's life.
1: I'll describe our store level ordering application, but there's also the store level period and inventory tool that we've built that helps them do their cycle counts. There's tools for the corporate level for understanding, setting up your stores and your merchandising and and managing users and things like that. So, but I'll go deep into store level ordering. So currently the way that produce managers order is they get into the store early in the morning, they count their inventory. They have a paper and pen based process often where they count inventory for every item. And then they use their judgment to understand demand, and then they place the order. Um, and they, the paper will have a barcode printed on like each row. And they'll hit it with a scanner and then redundantly punch in the order that they had written down on the paper to submit their order. And what we do is replace that process with an iPad and an app, the Afresh app which then digitizes that workflow. It feels very similar where there's a inventory counting step, an order review step, and then an order submission step. But at every step along the way, we're using AI to optimize and streamline that workflow. So on the inventory component, we're using AI to actually understand and forecast what inventory is in the store. And then on the ordering step, we're using AI to create a profit maximizing waste minimizing order quantity for every item. And then they hit submit and that integrates back into their warehouse or order management system to ultimately submit the order. And all of the AI is powered by a integration on the backend that we connect with the grocer's central database and ingest billions and billions of data points that are transaction level sales. Every time an item is scanned across the cash register, Transaction-level shipments and receipts every time an item is shipped into a grocery store, pricing, promotions, all of that data informs that. So it's a real combination of the human-driven workflow and the AI and machine learning intelligence that comes together to drive these optimal decisions.
0: You know, I'm always really interested how problems are created by systems Not because certain people are evil or want the bad Mm. for the world, just because systems are set up in a way that incentivizes things to go wrong. So let's look at it from the retailer perspective, let's say. Mm -hmm. One thing that I came across researching afresh and also the whole connection between retailers and wholesalers is that retailers tend to buy bigger batches of food, but then they maybe have a pack of chips in their assortment just to have the variety, but it isn't sold as often. So they need to Mm -hmm. buy this humongous amount of chips, which Mm -hmm. are just standing around never being sold. That's one of the reasons for food waste being created between retailers and wholesalers. What are some other ones
1: that come to mind? That's really interesting. You have to have a full shelf. Nobody wants to buy the last potato, at least yeah. in the culture in America versus in Europe and other areas. And I think there's good reason for that. I think we've become trained to believe that if there's one last potato sitting in the, the bin, it's likely to be a crappy, moldy potato. Why did somebody else not take that one? So I think that's definitely one dynamic. The expectation that the merchandising assortment has to be really big and there has to be an option for any flavor for every item.
2: That's wonderful. One of the conversations we've already had with Ned Spang, he advocates for education as one of the needed solutions with regard to food waste.
0: This is Jesse Horseman, senior producer of the season who joined me for this episode.
2: So, I'm curious as you work in this intersection of the consumer, the retailer, the suppliers, what's the most controversial or surprising thing that you've seen or learned about how food is sold and ordered and the demand is met?
1: When people look at food waste, they say, how much is happening at the grower level? How many is happening at the distributor level? How much is happening at the retail level? And how much is happening in the household fridge. And really it's this artificial set of divisions when in reality, it's a continuous stream and the food starts with a certain amount of shelf life and it's losing it all the way along based on time and cold chain compliance. The most controversial thing is that, yes, we need to continue to educate people to buy better, to better understand shelf labels, cook and eat everything they buy and to buy more reasonably. But the other thing is that a lot of it's out of their control. When you open the fridge and your berries are moldy, that may have been the outcome of the store ordering poorly or the distribution center ordering poorly and giving you as a consumer fewer days of shelf life once it's ultimately in your fridge. When I think about systems, one way to prevent consumer waste at home is to give people added days of shelf life so that when you buy the berries from your grocery store, they last longer in your fridge. And that is the result of a bunch of decisions that happen upstream in the supply chain that you might not have any idea about. Yeah,
0: that's so lovely. I actually get very excited about this right now because I really love seeing the interconnectedness and retailers are oftentimes at this really powerful point that they can influence the amount of food waste, both upstream and downstream. Uh, In another interview that we did with the CEO of Wasteless, Odette said something very controversial, and I would like to hear your opinion on that. So in the retail space, he said there are not that many ways to reduce food waste, but there are mainly two. One of them is what you're doing pretty much looking from the retailer upstream towards reducing food waste upstream. So by doing, for example, inventory management. And the other way is to look downstream downstream by doing something like they do, dynamic pricing, and therefore they reduce the amount of waste that is directly created in the supermarket. And he stated that he sees way more potential in the second option downstream. Now, obviously, it's because his company is in that field. So, But I would be very interested to hear what you would respond to that.
1: Yeah, personally, I think it's both. I'm biased also, right? Grocers actually don't know how much fresh food they have in the store, but to best understand when to mark a product down, you actually need to understand how much you have versus how much you're gonna sell. By building technology across the fresh food operating system, digitizing and understanding how much inventory is in the store and making better decisions about how much to order, when to mark down the price, when to put it in a flash food fridge, how much to order at the distribution center, you're influencing both upstream and downstream. So my more controversial point would be to say they're both impactful and all of these upstream decisions impact the downstream decisions and that every application along the way is important there are so many things upstream that also influence the shelf life of the product and waste at various levels that range from cold chain compliance, which is huge. If you're not in cold chain compliance for an hour, you can lose a day of shelf life, which in turn is going to influence that downstream level of waste. Or in addition to ordering, which is our first application that we built of fresh, there is shelf space optimization where you can dynamically change Should the shelf be full when there's 10 cases of bananas, or five cases of bananas, or 20 cases of bananas? And grocers do this currently by doing something called dummying up or down their displays, where they can make them look more or less full with paper or plastic cases. Anyways, my point would be that there's just a lot of different things that you can do. And again, it's one continuous supply chain that influences things both upstream and downstream.
2: I love that point. And you've touched on a couple of things that I think are really interesting. So, One of them is this notion of abundance. The fact that retailers often want to present abundant produce because it will actually get consumers to purchase more. It's a little bit of a psychological trick on their end, but there's other ways to do that other than filling a bin full of tomatoes that will never be sold. One of the things that I came across during my research is this point of view that food waste actually isn't so much about waste as it is about optimizing. And it feels like a fresh is central to that. I'm curious how you view food optimization, not just from an ordering perspective, but perhaps from a food insecurity and social point of view.
1: But holistically, if you think about it, we're going from 7 billion, we're like 8 billion people to 10, maybe 11 billion, they say now in 2050. And there's only so much arable land on the planet. And that fresh food as it stands right now is more expensive than food derived from corn, wheat, soy, rice, sugar, like our core row crops and staple crops. There's so much waste in fresh food. And a specific anecdote I have is that with one of our customers, who's already a very low-cost retailer, we reduced their waste by roughly 20% and across their entire produce department. And now they've lowered the price of their bananas. They've permanently lowered the price of their bananas because now their cost profile has changed. When you reduce the cost of food, it inherently in a competitive industry like grocery means that they're going to reduce their prices, which in turn means that they can drive people to consume more fresh food. And you create this kind of virtuous circle where you're getting more nutrient dense food, more accessible. And it's not to say that we all need to eat only fresh food all the time. I think there is a lot of room for especially healthier grains and uh, legumes like beans, lentils, quinoa, things like this. There's a way to drive access by reducing food waste you can also increase access to fresh foods
0: yeah i was surprised when i was in san francisco how expensive fresh fruit fresh vegetables (laughs) are it is really the more of the luxury to eat healthy whereas i remember when shopping when i was very very strictly plant-based i was shopping full big cart of fresh produce and the person behind me in the grocery line was amazed she's like you bought this for 28 euros like (laughs) two big bags of food how is that possible (laughs) yeah and that's such a difference between the american and the european system i feel like there seem to be special issues in the fresh food department So what are those? If we're talking, let's say, about produce, what are the current issues that retailers face? Good systems and processes need to be resilient. And during the first wave of the pandemic, our supply chains were put to the test.
1: It was definitely a crucible moment for the industry. There were some item areas like toilet paper and other staples like that that were the most dramatically affected. But to your point, it was a huge curveball that affected the whole industry that nobody could have ever seen coming or, or predicted before. And I think a big problem in the industry was that in a lot of cases, there was not much stockpiling. like The supply chain was really lean, actually. And so You were at risk of stocking out because all the people that were producing upstream didn't have the inventory or production to handle all that demand coming really quickly. Maybe this is a moment where fresh was like a little bit less hard with the exception of meat, which was a total nightmare. The meat supply chain was completely disrupted. But where because you're producing on these more frequent cycles, generally they were able to be a bit more responsive. But what we observed with all of our customers was that the demand curves and the way that things were going at the store level was completely different. And I remember the day after the national emergency was declared, the chief merchant and his team of one of our customers got us on a call. It was basically like, Hey, is a fresh going to be able to handle this? What are you doing about this? How in the world would you actually predict demand in the context of a once in a century pandemic? And Fortunately for us, we actually had built our system in a way to handle black swan events and things like a black swan event that's unpredictable happens every single day. And what I mean by that is the berries come off the truck and it's all moldy or it was raining in Salinas or Yuma or some growing area and the shelf life and the quality of the product is terrible or a truck gets stuck in a snowstorm or some other thing happens that's totally unpredictable. And the unpredictable is predictably consistent in the fresh food industry. And so the actual design of our system is different than non-fresh systems, where we keep the human in the loop. And there's an element of store-level discretion. And so when COVID first happened, we got that call from the chief merchant. What we had done is said, hey, for the first couple of days, store-level produce managers, we need you to use more of your judgment. And they work, again, in an elegant workflow in our system. and we said be a bit more skeptical of our AI recommendations for the next few days, and then after the first few days and the, the first week, we introduced a new set of pandemic-related features that basically said, "Hey, look more at the last few days and the last few weeks versus what we did last year, because last year is less representative." And there's an element of auto-regressive features they are called that do that a little bit naturally in machine learning models that our systems have built, but we dial those up even further. And so the end result of that is that after the first week, we were able to be more responsive and back to 95% adherence of our machine learning recommendations, which is kind of our typical base rate. The VP of produce was going to different stores in, in his region and he sent us photos of how stocked out they were. And he sent a photo of his stores that were like really in stock and said, I'm really grateful today that Afresh is not working with our competition yet. So that was a fun story.
2: (laughs) So Matt, if you had 50 million to invest in a business or venture, excluding your own, and it doesn't have to be limited to the food or food waste space, where would you make that investment right now?
1: I'm a big believer in for-profit social impact companies. I think that we need really talented, amazing people to start and scale companies that are solving the biggest problems in our generation. And the things we're talking about in food when it comes to climate change are huge, but there's other major problems. Something that I've grown more passionate about over time is mental health. And if I had $50 million to apply to a company that was for-profit social impact, doing things to help the mental health of people and not just like really wealthy people, but everybody, That's the first place I would look outside of food
2: and what we're doing here at Afresh. What is one controversial or unpopular opinion you have regarding sustainability, agriculture, food, food waste? That's an interesting question.
1: I would say that a controversial opinion I have is that for-profit companies can really make a huge impact. And historically, there's been an element of for-profit and capitalism, which is consume 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 more 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 and that can be perceived as being very opposed to sustainability it's inherently unsustainable to do more 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 but i think that for-profit business models are inherently the more sustainable business models for a business where not-for-profits really struggle to get funding and to actually have an impact over time. And so I'm a big believer in business models like Afresh, where you're driving efficiencies, which reduce costs and sales of fresh food, but enable businesses to become more profitable in a way that is sustainable and driving that model as a way to affect real scalable global change. And outside of the food space, you think about inventing new energy models or driving electrification of grids and things like that. There's a lot of ways to make money by doing the sustainable thing. And as a result, I'm pro capitalism, pro for-profit social impact companies. And right now there's a lot of messaging in the space that capitalism is bad. and, And there's definitely a lot of problems and a lot of abuses that were the result of unregulated capitalism but i think for-profit models that are directed at making the world a better place there are a countless number of them that are possible and that's one big thing i believe
0: how can listeners connect with you
1: yeah i think it's not too scary for me to just say i'm i'm matt at afresh.com let will see if i regret that but you I know mean, at this point i get a lot of emails so i wouldn't <laughs> potentially answer everything but I could point you to the right way. So I would just say, yeah, email me or best yet is if you're passionate about anything I just talked about, like come join us at a fresh. We're hiring like crazy. We started the year at 40 people. We're gonna be 120 by the end of the year. We're gonna continue growing beyond that. The company is doing super, super well. So if I had a moment to just be shameless, I would say come get involved. We need really talented people across like every function in the business, technical, non-technical business, people that are really passionate about eliminating food waste, making fresh food accessible to all. Email me, come join us, visit our website at afresh.com. And I'm just very grateful for everybody listening to me.
0: Thank you so much, Matt. That was a really enjoyable interview with lots of insights.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that was fun.
0: Thank you for listening. When I first started Red to Green, I was amazed. Wow, this is so much work. And it's made possible by a dedicated smart ninja team. If you enjoy our work, please take a minute to share it online, send it to friends or colleagues who would appreciate the episodes. Let's spread the message and let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.